Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football fan podcast. I am Peyton Guthrie, one of your hosts. Joined as always, guys, it's been such a long time since we've had an actual sit down of all four of us, but we're here, we're back. The offseason is fully here. We've cleared our schedule for you guys. It's not even Ash Wednesday yet, Valentine's Day. We're making room for, all, for the full crew. Uh, I'm joined by Matt. Allen and Brady for the first time in a while, like I said, we're all here. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Super Bowl uh, should be a national holiday on Monday, but it's not. We all had to go to work potentially. But let's just get into it. First, we'll start with a round of introductions. Matt, how you doing? I mean, I know we got OU basketball, you got Thunder. You I mean the Thunder yeah, like man. running, doing great. You know, so I mean, you got all kinds of stuff to talk about. But now OU basketball is in full swing. You're covering that too. How's it going, man? It's going well, man. It's uh, it's a really heavy basketball night for for me tonight. I got the Thunder on right now. OU starts at eight uh, down there in Baylor. So excited, man! It's an exciting time uh, for I mean just to watch some basketball. I mean OU's top twenty five, and I think that's about right. They're firmly at twenty five. I think they're like the probably the twenty fifth best team in the in the nation, and that's in no more than that, and sometimes less yeah. than that. Uh, I mean, what were we expecting out of that Baylor game? I guess people who watch this have already have seen it, but or listen to this have already seen the game. But like, just for me personally, what, what do you what do you think? Yeah, just for just for you personally, Peyton, I will say Baylor's just an extreme, like way more talented team than, than oh, OU sucks. is. They, they really are, and they got a big guy too that kind of came out of nowhere uh, in Eve Misa or Misi, excuse me. But uh, that dude's legit. Like that dude's gonna be probably a top twenty pick in the NBA this this offseason. So. Uh, it's 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 not going to go his way, I don't think. Oh, that's sad. But hey, we, we got to play Alan. the game anyway. Yeah, and then we get Alan, who's been very very busy for us over on Patreon.com/slash through the keyhole, multiple articles, multiple podcasts. Got another one coming up this week uh, with the Cal Science Cal uh, Computer Science Professor. Yeah, that's right, uh, Ben Recht of um, yeah Cal Berkeley. He is a computer sciences professor there. We're going to talk a little bit about. Um, analytics and their applications and non-applications to uh football walk me through uh is this just a twitter connection or i mean or or is the alan kenny like uh dark web just much much larger than i thought it was <laughs> this is a this is a twitter connection it's actually a uh sub stack that i that i follow where he talks oh, about cool. um you know kind of applications of stats and uh you know kind of in well walking people through like how to uh how to apply stats to different you know in different ways 
Um, he's probably going to, if he hears this, he's probably going to be very upset that I described it that way. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, he, uh, he is a, a good guy from what I could ascertain via email. So we'll, uh, we'll get together and chat it up though. Is the, Alan, is the Alan Kenny dark web, like Alan comes over to your house, watches a movie with you, and then he reviews it like to your face. Is that what go, is that the service? Uh, I mean, you know, if, it, if I were if I were to tell you what the Alan Guinea dark web service was, it wouldn't be dark web dark web service. There you go. That's that's on the Patreon episode. Yeah, it's it's get, whatever it involves it involves mirrored sunglasses uh, <laughs> for sure. And then Brady, you got the gun showing out right now. This is not a visual format, so people are missing out on this. That's easily five or six more, maybe you know, maybe twelve more subscribers if we had a visual format on that. But Brady. How's it going, man? I know um, you and I both have to watch the Super Bowl. I have to watch, you know, our teams, the AFC, Kansas City Chiefs, totally just crush everybody. But how, how's how are you doing, man? Are you okay? I'm fine, fine. Uh, it's sad <laughs> because football's over for. Well, I mean, we've got the UFL to look forward to, and everybody likes Bob Stoops, so uh, we've got that to look forward to at least. But no, it's fine. It's just a uh, completely and utterly basketball season, and. Um, graphic season because you know guys are getting crystal balled and i'm sure that nothing will nothing else will come of that it'll just be like oh yeah they're crystal balled to ou nothing to worry about moving forward with that player crystal so, ball sounds like a service for the uh dark web that's that's the crystal ball is a service on through the keyhole slash patreon slash whatever it's called so peyton was peyton's gonna come over to your house and crystal ball you i don't know exactly what that means if you have but, to I mean, ask, you can't afford it. Yeah, if you, it if you don't want people hyped. Yeah, don't be poor. Go to the twenty-seven dollar month tier, and Peyton will travel to your home and crystal ball the shit out of you. Uh, thank you to our title sponsor, Vanessa House. Hopefully, you're not listening to that part of it. Uh, They're no, fine. I was there. I was there on Saturday. They're fine. You're there. Taking care of it. Good. 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 Yeah. Uh, let's jump into it. The Super Bowl happened. Uh, 49ers could not get it done. Kansas City Chiefs are now three uh, times within the last, what, four-year uh, champions. Uh, getting back-to-back -back now, firmly establishing, establishing themselves as a, as a dynasty. You know, um, obviously, as a Spurs fan, I don't think you have to be back-to-back -to, -back to be a dynasty. But most people consider back-to-back -back titles to allow yourself to be a dynasty at that point in time. Uh, Matt, are, are we seeing – I mean, I guess, I, I guess it's maybe just a degree – of how much you think we're seeing it, but are we seeing like the greatest? I mean, is this is this is this just the Patriots all over again? I mean, I mean <laughs> what? I don't know. I mean, how, how do you how do you describe this Chiefs team? Because it just seems like when I was watching that game, the 49ers seemed like just the better team until they just weren't. Like they could, they were more efficient. They're getting more first downs. They couldn't land a punch on them. And the Chiefs would do just enough to kind of wiggle away, yeah. you know, wiggle their way out of out of issues until they could until they all got figured out. But I mean, what are your thoughts on the game? And just maybe just what do you think about the Chiefs kind of moving forward historically? I mean, that's what I was thinking the entire time. I was like, it it feels like 40 the 49ers have had multiple chances to not put this game away, but put it, you know, almost out of reach. And they just could not land that final punch. Uh, and you had some weird things happen, right? Like the the punt going off the guy's foot and then, you know, the next play is a touchdown. Like, and then it, it just changes everything. There's some weird stuff happened. Uh, but that whole time, like through it, I mean, really the second half, 
it just always felt like, okay, Patrick Mahomes is going to make a play at some point. And I don't know if Brock Birdie is going to be able to make that play. Um, and I mean, credit to Brock Birdie. I don't think that he played that bad, really. And I, I think like, especially down the stretch, it felt like he was playing more like smart football. I mean, it, like he was throwing the ball away, right? You know, throwing it at guys' feet whenever he doesn't think that there's, you know, a play there to be made, you know, and that's just not Patrick Mahomes. You just know that Patrick Mahomes is going to make a play whenever he needs to. And it really felt like, I don't, I don't know how to really feel about this. It was like, oh, this feels like the Chiefs when they were like the most gettable the Chiefs had been. I mean, I guess on offense, but that defense was awesome all year long. And I mean, so I don't know if that, if I really buy into that, like, oh, they were the most gettable they'll ever be. I I don't buy that. That defense was absolutely stacked. It's going to be interesting to see how they can, you know, resign, you know, like Chris Jones and Jerry Sneed, like guys like that. I don't know if they'll be able to resign all of them, but I mean, it does have the makings of, yeah, as long as they got 15, they're going to win a few more. Yeah, that's the thing I was trying to think about today. I was just kind of walking through some stuff and, you know, people were, you know, there's always like, he's the goat, you know, Pat, Pat, Pat Mahomes is the goat, the best quarterback we've seen, you know, from a, from a talent level, all that type of stuff, you know, does he have a chance to be the greatest, you know, the most accomplished at that point in time. And it's hard to bet against him, but you have to think he has to do what he's just done all over again. And then a little bit more, you know, to get seven rings. It just yeah. seems it's hard to think about just, the amount of winning Tom Brady did like, that's something that's weird for us to think about from that. I mean, you seven's just so hard. I mean, Alan, do you think, I mean, let's just look at the, the micro, the actual 49ers, Kansas city, uh, you know, that game, the super bowl that just happened, the highest rated telecast in the history of anything. I mean, did the, the, the Niners have it and they just couldn't do it? Or was this always the, the chiefs? Man, that's a, that's a great question because it's not that, God, man, watching the 49ers, I see a team that is loaded. In my opinion, that should they that should be the NFL dynasty right now. Um, I mean, we're talking about uh, I just went back and counted. They had five first team all pros this year. I mean, that's sick when you think about it, right? But they're they're playing around and I know everybody, I mean, I, I hate doing this right after the, you know, a game where they just went to the Super Bowl because it's going to come off the wrong way probably. But they're playing around a quarterback who, in my opinion, I mean, they're just trying to overcome. They're, they're playing around his shortcomings, I think. Or, you know, I mean, I look at it and I just think, you know, Purdy looks really good with all those dudes around him, but – I just feel like you know he he's he's what's holding them back, you know, from being, in my opinion, uh, a dominant NFL team. So you know, they did they they did their best. You know, I mean, you, you can you can go back through and and like pick out any individual events or whatever that changed the game, a fumbled punt or what have you. But you know, I mean. I don't know. It just to me feeling like watching them is like watching a like a Ferrari with like a Kia engine in it or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's just I, I know that every I, I I hate I hate being that dude because it's like they just went to the Super Bowl. I mean, uh, and I and I get that, but man, it's like everything else is there for that team. You know, like 
that that I felt like that was a game they should have won by at least two touchdowns if they have you know better than Mister Irrelevant at at the quarterback position. Yeah, and and maybe I want to try to add some clarification to your to your uh, metaphor there uh, for Ryan Chapman if he's listening for our F other F one fan. It's like watching a Ferrari. Period <laughs> on a racetrack. <laughs> it's the fastest car ever. It, it just break down. I mean, you know, after like five laps. <laughs> uh, it's just how it is for some reason for Ferrari. But no, I think yeah, that's it. Watching that game and watching how the 49ers went. I mean, earlier this year, people were saying pretty MVP. <laughs> you know, like that's how well they were playing around his inefficiencies and around his limitations because you know you had all that stuff built out. I do want to say apparently in three Super Bowl victories. The Kansas City Chiefs have been called for offensive holding zero times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to get into the uh, uh, dark brand inside that's just, of everything, that's just clean football. Uh, that's clean that's football, football, baby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, very you know, dedicated. But like, yeah. But you know, I mean, I mean, it's a case where, I mean, to me, pumping up Purdy as a like MVP candidate is, is like a classic case of a quarterback gets too much credit and too much blame, right? And in this case, like. The difference, it's easy to say, okay, these there are two teams here, they look pretty even, but one of them was a lot better at quarterback. And like here, it was more like these teams are not close to even in my mind. I mean, you look at like, look at the Chiefs receivers this year. My God, man. I mean, you know, and like they got like Isaiah Pacheco out there running the ball and everything. I mean, like it's not a, it was not an over exceedingly talented team. But it is so it wasn't a case where like I looked at it and thought, oh, well, these two teams are really close, but one of them has Pat Mahomes. It was like more like one of these teams is really good, except for the quarterback, and the other one is Pat Mahomes. You know what I mean? Like it's just that was that was the way I, I, I interpreted it. Maybe I'm being too harsh on on the guy, but it's just the way I see it. And it might be a good case for uh for for that. Uh, uh, your, your Patreon uh, podcast you'll have later on this week. Maybe maybe I can misallocation of statistical you know information because people are saying, well, look look at his yards per completion and look at all of this and look at the average you know throw depth and it's like just watch the game. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, pretty yeah. If you look at all through the numbers, pretty looks like an MVP guy, but there's a bunch of people doing a lot of heavy lifting, so mm-hmm. he can just kind of roll the ball out. You know, just, you know, shoot some layups. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-321. 3100. That's 405 321 3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I 35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard to find bourbon in store. Uh, Brady, you're in on this too, man. Come on. What's the Super Bowl thoughts? What, did you have the, the Taylor Swift counter out? I mean, did you have. I personally had a Taylor Swift party, apparently. We had. In my Super Bowl era, and uh, the fiance had built out this big food bar that looked like a football stadium, and they were playing Taylor Swift songs throughout the entire time. So it was a much, it was not a football watch party that I was at. It was a Taylor Swift uh, uh, watch party. But how was it for you at uh, watching the Super Bowl? I felt bad. My uh, 
my buddy is a he's a diehard 49ers fan and it was his birthday so it um it's the uh so for him you know as a dolphins fan i haven't i've never seen the dolphins get past the divisional round and that they've only hit that once since i've been a fan that was in 2000 but he has seen the 49ers play in three super bowls in the last 10 years and they've i think they've lost essentially on the last play on in each one of them so it's it's a different type of suck and it was his birthday so it was kind of a bummer but um I, i'll say this um Patrick Mahomes great, you know, Brock Purdy, he's better than Brock Purdy and all that. How do we explain Nick Foles and Eli Manning beating Tom Brady, though? Um, to me, like, Brock Purdy played well enough to win the game. The problem was, and this was very, like, I watched that game and it reminded me so much of OU games of the last handful of years where OU is beating or at least in control of a game. And they have not one, not two, not three, not four, maybe even five. Hell, they had six chances against OSU to end the game in the second or third quarter. And because of play calling or maybe because Dylan Gabriel, who we like and uh, played very well, just isn't that guy. Um, because of that, OU was unable to make the final play in order to truly kind of distance themselves for good um, in the middle of the game you know, for a victory. That's exactly what happened with San Francisco because they dominated the fuck out of that game. And it didn't matter that like, oh, like Patrick Mahomes is making some plays here and there. If they had scored just one touchdown, I don't know if it would have mattered. Um, I don't, it wouldn't have gone into overtime. San Francisco played, I thought, extremely well. They did everything that they needed to do um, in order to win the game. And so I, I feel bad for them. And this was actually one of the first times like the la this playoff run that I've actually really watched Kansas City because I've kind of just I mean, I watched the Super Bowl. I don't really care for it that much. Um, it'll just be on in the background. Uh, but this was like the first time that I really paid attention to Kansas City. One, because the Dolphins played them in the wild card. So I had to. And then I kind of watched from there. Boy, do they get away with a fuck ton of hold calls. And I'm not I'm not talking about like just like ticky tack, like, yeah, they, everybody holds on every play. It's like, yeah, I mean, guys were getting hooked in front of the ref and they're like, no, it's fine. What? There were, I, I, I know two drives that Kansas city either scored on or they got into the red zone. I can't remember if it was one of the drives where they fumbled or turned the ball over in the red zone, but I know there were two drives that should have died because of a, like I saw a guy get hooked. I assumed, oh, they're going to flag that the ball gets thrown and the camera pans over and I'm just waiting for the yellow flag graphic to show up. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? This is ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of the uh, 2017 OU Texas game where OU was just beating the crap out of Texas. And then the refs decided, yeah, we're not going to call any uh, penalties on Texas now. And we're going to call every penalty on OU because we want Texas to kind of get back into the game. We don't want them to get run. That's, you know, that's not what people came here to see. And Texas was able to come back into the game. And OU had to win kind of scratch and claw to, in order to get the victory. So um, Patrick Mahomes, cool. You know, he's good. Probably going to be the best. Um, they're a dynasty. But yeah, missed opportunity from San Francisco and Kansas City had a little bit of help. Yeah, the thing I always think about that because like these are refs, they're not computers, they're not you know not robots, not AI. 
you know, they're, they're looking at things, they're seeing things, they're making subject, potentially subjective calls. You know, I, I saw there's, uh, you know, a couple of videos uh, on Twitter watching Nick Bosa get like tackled <laughs> off of a spin move. Like that one's rough. It should have been called, but it wasn't. Um, it, it's the Ric Flair mantra. To be the man, you got to beat the man. You know, you have to beat the champion. It, it's, the refs aren't going to do it for you. You know, it, it, it's almost unfair. It's almost unfair for the challenger when it comes to that type of thing, because you have to go above and beyond, you know, from that perspective. And the Niners early were doing it. You know, they, like I said, extremely efficient. They're running the ball at will. You know, they, they weren't asking Purdy to do anything really. You know, at one point in time, you know, it had like 12 first downs to Kansas City. It's like two. I mean, they were just being, they just, but they just couldn't score in that, in, and in, at, at that time, they were just running out of, I mean, eventually Kansas City was going to figure it out. And and yeah. they did. And they got to that point in time. Um, does anyone have any, like, thoughts about the the overtime decision by Shanahan to, to take the ball? I, I've, I've since learned his um, analytical thinking behind that, uh, saying there's, there's more... Um, um, I don't know, juice to the squeeze of taking the ball first because you get the you get then you get the third possession, which is the only possession in which it's an automatic win via a score. Um, do we have any thoughts on that? Do we think that was a, a mistake? I know that was kind of a sports talk topic for a while. Is there is there a, a world out there where maybe okay? So like Fred Warner, I think was the guy out there representing the 49ers. Is there a world out there where maybe they? discuss that like earlier and then Fred Warner just like you know whatever everything kicked in it was like oh it's the NFL it's overtime we want the ball like as I'm sure that I can't just I can't wrap my mind around an NFL coaching staff not like drilling that into your players like just drilling it we through the week and weeks like and you know, it, when you get into the playoffs too whenever it changes I, I can't wrap my brain around Oh, we didn't discuss this at all. From my understanding, um, I've read articles about this. The Kansas City Chiefs uh, coaching staff they informed all the players. They like went through the drills and stuff. And then the 49er players learned about the overtime rules during the game when they flashed it on the monitors. <laughs> uh, but the coaching staff knew. Like Kyle Shannon's like, I, we talked through our, our, our Olympics team, and they said take the ball first because if you score – then they, you know, they get, you know, regardless of whoever scores first, you get a, a for sure second possession. And that's great. The, third, the Chiefs, immediately yeah. after the game, the Chiefs were saying that they were going to go for two. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, like, that, that's the hard part about yeah. that logic. Yeah, yes. that was, that's the part where I get, like, you got to, there's no assurances you're going to get that third possession. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, but by the time, I, uh, I'm trying to think about it too. So let's, let's say you score a touchdown. They didn't. But let's say you score a touchdown. You're now forcing them to score a touchdown, obviously. And then to win the game, you're forcing them to go for two. Now, of course, they're the ones doing it. So, like, they've got some agency because they're the ones trying to. But still, you're ahead. You know, so I, I can understand it. I can walk my way through it. I just don't think I can walk my way through it knowing Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. That would be the hard part for me. And you're giving I, him an extra down because they have to go for it on fourth. I kind of took it as Shanahan kind of... I think he probably had the thought that I need to get my defense a break because they have played so above and beyond probably even what they expected to do in terms of the entirety of the defensive performance. But people are just going to remember how that game ended in regulation. And I don't want that to kind of 
overshadow what they've done. But I'm going to let them get a little bit of an extra breather here because I'm confident in the offense. And then also the other side of the coin, San Francisco has a really good defense. So my initial thought was that he's confident in his offense and he should be because their offense is really good. And if they just kind of stick to what worked in the first half, i.e. running the ball, they should be able to move the ball down the field. And that's exactly what happened. So I, I didn't really second guess it at all. I don't think anybody would be second guessing it if San Francisco was able to just make a play uh, defensively and win the game like straight up in overtime. So um, I don't know because I mean, I didn't want the bucks to go for two on that um, in that playoff game against Detroit. I thought that that was kind of silly, but I know that there's like numbers and spreadsheets out there that say that I'm a fucking idiot about that. Oh, no, there aren't, but, <laughs> but, but so Twitter said I was stupid, Alan. Well, me and this uh, Cal, uh, Cal professor, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll set you straight. Okay. 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 That's good. But anyway, I mean, I don't know. I think you can go both ways with it um, and be correct or incorrect according to twitter.com or whatever, just the masses, because I mean, San Francisco lost and that's what people will care about. Um, it's not like Kansas city, like just overwhelmed them on that drive. Like they had to work for it because San Francisco's de defense is pretty damn good. And um, Kansas city made plays. Um, they're awesome. Um, yeah. That's just what happens. I mean, Kansas city, players had said like after the game that yeah we didn't play well in the first half it's like no you didn't play well because san francisco was really good and they they made it hard on you and that's what happens when you get into a super bowl ideally and the same thing happened on um inverse in the in overtime but kansas city just made a few more plays so just sucks for the decision making Dude, and about the decision making i mean for the niners coming out of halftime two straight possessions you don't turn and hand the ball off to christian mccaffrey yeah, that after was... he was having a, a great game, you two straight possessions. You don't, you don't let him have it. Crazy. I I wonder if he. I mean, Shanahan definitely probably recognized like if we just go down and score one more time, like if we score a touchdown, we could coast a tad. You know, then you can really ride running the ball because at that point it becomes, you know, it's Kansas City's like biggest enemy is the clock at that point, and maybe. Shanahan was trying to like just force it a little too much by trying to ask Brock Purdy to make that play and maybe show him that he had the confidence to go like go win a Super Bowl. Just go lead a drive, throw some throw some passes to your awesome receivers, except for Debo Samuel, who's incredibly soft and is always hurt. I'm pretty sure he's bleeding internally right now. Prayers to him. Uh, but um, yeah, just didn't work. Yeah, that ends up being the true indicator for a lot of these decisions uh, from a quote unquote, uh, you know, from from Twitter standpoint. Did it work? Yes, it was great. Did it not work? No, it was bad uh, from that perspective. That's usually how it kind of funnels down. Uh, I, I thought that from your perspective, Brady, that was more of, oh, Mahomes just went down there, tied the game up. He's on, you know, he's in a rhythm. Let's just take the ball, <laughs> get the ball yeah. out of his hands, see if he gets cold. Yeah. You know, so I thought it was from that perspective. And then I, Shanahan was kind of walking through. I was like, Ooh, those analytics. I mean, th those numbers are like ten hypotheticals away from uh, what potentially could happen. Like that's that's rough to to, to put that in uh, the you know to value a potential third possession that heavily to just completely hand wave anything that may happen before that was a a bit strange and a bit rough from from that perspective. Um, do you have anything? No, nah, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, I was going to talk about the big games and how they're big events and maybe they're impacting the quality of of game, but. I would generally think the Super Bowl was 
pretty entertaining and like the college football uh, playoffs, those were pretty entertaining, right? I mean, this year they were. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I I had something kind of percolating in my head about the game taking too long, too many commercial breaks, all that type of stuff. But I think that's just kind of the norm moving forward for any football game <laughs> as ESPN signed a, uh, uh, the, the the contract they just did with uh, the, the college football playoffs. And as you may not know, if you haven't read it yet, uh, ESPN is now the, uh, was it six more years uh, they own the college football playoff for $7.6 billion yeah. on, on at top this point of the, On top of the two that they already already had in the contract. So yeah, oh, they're going okay. to add, so I guess eight years. Right? Eight, eight total years of complete control so, yeah. of ESPN. Luckily for Oklahoma, uh, SEC's uh, ESPN property, baby. <laughs> Good to go for uh, the the home team. I expect football games to be long, you know, broadcast even. My my big question coming into the SEC, and I don't even know if we could ask SEC people this because everybody thinks that their collection of refs are like the biggest joke in the sport. Um, I just want to know, like, do SEC refs just do they review every single? fucking play possible the big 12 does and if we can just avoid that i think you could shave off a very healthy three and a half minutes from the football game and make everybody feel better yeah i think the sec teams uh at least refing crews kind of let them play a little bit more i know they've that's, already made that's what made announcements thinking. they made announcements like you know horns down's not going to be a penalty and stuff like that so it's very very helpful uh, a little bit more of a grown league i guess uh from that perspective brady I mean, let's let's move on there. Brady, uh, recently we had uh, Jason Bilzer on uh, patreon.com slash through the keel for a Patreon episode uh, that is immediately we got upstaged and uh, overshone by, <laughs> in, uh, was that Insider OU? Uh, is that what you said? They had him on as well. Um, Inside OU uh, had him on as o- well. O- I believe it's OU Insider. Is that right? OU Insider. Yes. Man, you guys, you guys we gotta, We've got to get I, Inside I even, OU. We got to get Inside How OU. How do we get in there? I don't even pay attention to the rivals. I don't even see them. It's just us on top of the mountain. <laughs> I don't see anybody go. else. Uh, but they also had them on um, and to talk about some of the um, quote unquote struggles that the uh, Crimson Cream Collective have had and answering some of the questions from uh, Oklahoma fans uh, have had just about this NIA collective and, and you know the concerning nature, the quote unquote concerning nature of it. I need to stop saying quote unquote before I get told stop talking. Uh, <laughs> I had another uh uh, colloquialism I was saying a lot I didn't realize it until somebody on Twitter said Peyton please stop saying this so uh, I, I'm gonna work better at that but Brady, never apologize never apologize just tweet through it uh, you know you, you've had some thoughts on this uh, Alan and I have kind of kind of gone back and forth on the NIL stuff and, and the Crimson Cream Collective uh, specifically uh, you know listening to to our podcast with Jason uh, and then also listening to the uh, the other uh, lesser podcast uh, to be quite honest with you uh, wh- what are your thoughts kind of sh- kind of building around that and building around the idea of where OU may be just in this specific part of the future, the present day of college football. You have to have a collective. It's got to have a lot of money. Yeah. Look, I think first of all, the real shame kind of falls at the the feet of the NCAA for creating a situation that has allowed inconsistent, an inconsistent system or structure, however you want to call it. Um, in terms of NIL, because I mean, obviously, first of all, there's no way that we can measure OU's NIL because we can't measure it against other programs we, in terms of the money that they're raising or in terms of whatever. 
So the only way that we can do it is just by measuring it against, well, Ole Miss got like a shit ton of players via the portal. Missouri got, you know, they they took Caden Green from OU, so they must be schooling OU and NIL, right? So that's that's the only thing that we can do, which makes this all the more frustrating because when there's no football being played, this is the only bragging rights topic that you can have with people on Twitter or just, you know, friends in the office. And it sucks if you are on the losing end of these um, NIL recruitments or if you are on the losing end of having a player on your roster just suddenly say, I'm going somewhere else and it happens to be we're uh, close to where I'm from. And uh, I, yeah, no one talked to my family that lives there currently. Anyway, um, yeah, so like it's it's their fault. It's the NCAA's fault that we're in this mess. Um, second of all, I will never discourage fans from donating um, and uh, if if that makes you feel like you are helping the cause, whether it be um, today or down the road, because you feel like this is this is heading in a certain direction, and I want to just go ahead and try to help that, um, I'm not going to say that you're wrong for doing so. What kind of irks me is this idea that in order to be a good fan, or in order to like help OU sign the Jag offensive lineman from Alabama. If you're not donating, well, then th- then it's your fault. No, I, I'm not. I'm not going to play that game. Um, I think we've already talked about this before. Um, as a fan, I have spent thousands of dollars uh, directly to OU's athletic department in terms of tickets, in terms of merchandise. You know, ever since I've been old enough to have my own money, whether it be from my allowance from my parents or money that I've earned from working, I've spent thousands of dollars on OU football. And then that's not even to mention the timing and the the planning and uh, the travel, which of course doesn't go to uh, OU's football program, but it just kind of goes to show you like fans support the program. And I know that the game is changing and I know that it's getting to a point where, well, okay, if you really want to like compete against like the best talent in your own conference in order to win playoff games or a national championship. Well, then the game is changing. Therefore you need to adapt your fanness or your ability to help support the program. I will do that as soon as we get a cleaned up version of what NIL is supposed to be, or that they're, they just become employees. And I know that's, that's another can of worms. That's another separate conversation, but I need some clarity. I don't want to be like swindled into some bullshit where my money is not tracked to, you know, I, I basically don't know where my money is actually going. And that, that just kind of irks me. Um, I don't want fans to feel like that they, Oh, like we, we didn't get a Jag offensive lineman from LSU. And I say, Jack, I'm sure he's good. I'm sure he would have helped, but when your headline is former five-star offensive lineman, I'm like, well, what did he do in college? Why why are we going off of his high school headline? Anyway, um, when we don't get the Jag offensive lineman from LSU and he goes to Tennessee instead or whatever, um, the, the reaction is, oh, it's Brooklahoma and we need more fans to donate to Crimson and Cream. Again, I'm not discouraging you from doing so if you feel that that's necessary please do it um but i just think that this idea that oh that's why we didn't get the jag it's because we have 45 people donating whatever in crimson and cream and tennessee has like hundreds or thousands of fans that donate ten dollars a month or twenty dollars a month and that's why they got them 
No, I mean, Tennessee's under investigation because their fucking donors are flying recruits in and out of Knoxville. So their donors are willing to skirt the line, if not outright cheat in order to do so. OU has decided not to do that, and I applaud them for it because I don't want OU to be under investigation. I don't want them to get into big-time trouble that keeps us from success down the road. Um, but I, I do want OU to basically what Gabe Eichert had mentioned a few weeks ago on their podcast on Oklahoma Breakdown, where they're towing the line as much as possible um, in order to compete. Because um, I think OU essentially, in the short term, we're going to compete in the SEC next year. We'll see what we need to do. We'll see where we need to improve, and we will need to improve in some areas. And if any of those areas are, we need to immediately address this. Otherwise, like Brent might be on the hot seat or fired in year two of the SEC, then they'll probably suddenly have money for the portal because they'll need experience. They will need guaranteed like plug and play success, not four year development, you know, because that's how I want it. If the program is great and Brent Venables is truly the next great head coach at the University of Oklahoma, I'd rather put it all into high school recruiting, um, developing that culture, that sustainability that we've enjoyed as fans since 2000 when Bob got here or 99 technically. Um, so that that's how I would want it. Uh, I'm just going to tell you all, like if, if, if the offensive line sucks this year and it's like the reason why we lose three or four games and Jackson Arnold gets his ass kicked, uh, we will suddenly have money in the offseason to sign like former five-star offensive lineman from this school or hell, maybe even a really good one. Maybe we'll steal Caden Greenback. I don't know. This this sport is funny and wacky, but th just this idea that OU fans, the time is dire. We need your money. Tithe, tithe to the almighty University of Oklahoma football program. Like I, I just have a little problem with that messaging, understanding full well that everybody has a job to do. And again, if you are wanting to um, donate to it, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that the messaging surrounding all this is unfair. I think I, think I, I feel very, very similar to that. Just the... Uh... <clears throat> the ask, you know, the, the continual ask for this stuff and even just how the marketing is, is going. I think they have a current marketing right now or if, if they can get a certain number of uh, new Crimson Cream uh, members, you know, a, a big a big donor will then unlock, they'll unlock a $2 million donation, you know? So it's like, well, why can't you just give the $2 million? Like, what's with this dog and pony show part of it, you know, to me from that perspective? You know, what's... It's something I struggled with, and then if you guys listen to our version of this of this interview, it, it's something I, I look back at that, and I, I kind of wish I had kind of really kind of nailed Jason a little bit harder, uh, not in that way, uh, on some of these points he had about the ROI. He's like, yeah, we want to do a membership, and you get these videos. I was like, I don't give a damn about any of that. <laughs> like, why are you guys wasting that time? You know, you need to tell me we're – Oklahoma's trying to get this guy and trying to get that guy. And, and maybe that's impossible to do. You know, maybe the administration and Joe, Joe, Joe Castiglione has said, hey, don't, do not message yourselves in these ways. Don't make it so blatantly obvious that that's what you are. Because they make it really seem like it's a, you know, for, they make it seem like our model. Like it's a Patreon subscription. Like you get behind the scenes content and stuff like that. And it's like, who cares? And that it's such a strange way to market it in that way. And I guess they're doing it because, I mean, like, look at, we'll get into it later, like, look at Tennessee right now. Like, they're in court right now saying, you you cannot enforce your guidelines because your guidelines 
are impossible to enforce. So why are you trying to enforce them? But, you know, because it's, you know, you know, an NIL guy can say, well, this is what a quarterback of your talent would get. <laughs> you know, but they can't say this is what you will get. And it's like, that's just a, you know, a, you know, if it sounds like a duck, walks like a duck, it is a duck. I mean, there's nothing there from that perspective that that separates it. But University of Oklahoma always leans on the um, the nervous side of that perspective to make sure that they're not putting themselves in any situation to where, you know, the, the quote unquote 90s can come back, <laughs> you know, and that's always something, you know, pasta gate. We all heard about all that stuff. It's <laughs> it's just how Oklahoma operates itself and how it wants to. My assumption is that they are um, cannot wait for shared revenue. They cannot wait for uh, <laughs> CBA uh, from that perspective, Un- University of Oklahoma, so they can stop all the dog and pony show and gen- just start sharing all the massive generational wealth the University of Oklahoma athletics program generates every single year instead of having to figure out how many car dealerships are going to give Dylan Gabriel you know, a fake commercial on Instagram <laughs> to give him $500,000. It just seems to be a lot of work to do nothing. Um, the stuff that really maybe concerned me um and, and again i think alan had mentioned it in, on, on our uh discord so behind the scenes image right there if you pay five dollars uh <laughs> you can uh, hear us talk about this in another podcast um it, it's hard to take jason's word f- fully okay i think he's being as truthful as he can be but when he says yes oklahoma is like now like the 10th in the t- top 10 of nil coffers you know they were you know, t- 10th in the SEC, but now they're 10th in the nation. He's like, but that still puts you like sixth in the SEC. And it's like, well, where are you getting these numbers from? Like, you don't oversee every collective of all these schools. Like, what's happening here? You know, it's, it, you know, he, he made like an estimate that Oklahoma's current NIL deal, they're sitting at like, um, I apologize, about $8 million, but like the top teams are looking at like 10 to 12 million, like in Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Uh, but even Alabama, you know, there's after Saban went, everyone's like, well, they got to get their NIL thing figured out or they're not going to have a team. <laughs> it, I don't know. It seems, Brady, as you mentioned, my hope is it, it, isn't, it isn't just a bunch of snake oil, but it's starting to feel like it's yeah. just a bunch of snake oil completely and utterly. Yeah. And, and with, with, I, I mean, you, anytime someone says with all due respect or, you know, whatever, but with absolute respect to Belter because he was gracious enough to jump on our podcast and talk to you, Peyton. Three but times like, now. Yeah, but two things really stick out to me uh, he, that he said to you. I don't know if he said this in, on other podcasts, but he might have. Um, but one of, like, the first thing was, if I have it my way, then every OU fan, like, in order to be an OU fan, you must donate to Crimson and Cream. And I'm like, yeah, in a perfect world, everybody is, like, communism and everybody like works together for the common goal but that that's not reality communism is evil by the way uh, just kidding this isn't politics um but uh yeah my man you would want it that way because you run it and therefore you would probably stand to profit or make a lot more money if everybody that donned crimson and cream <clears throat> gave 10 or 20 dollars a month so when I hear that, I hear like, yeah, that would be beneficial for OU. It'd also be beneficial for you individually. And then, um, I mean, just saying, man, I need to choose my words carefully here. Um, you know, just like the whole, 
the whole business like of how he oversees not just OUs, but he sees oversees other schools collectives. I'm just like, how is that not a conflict of interest? Like how? And and I, so for instance, Caden Green is Missouri's collective, like talking to their parent or to his family. Like, I don't know. That was probably coaching staffs. And I mean, the Mosey guy who used to be a running back at OU, who's the high school coach at that school um, that Williams Winery went to, that Caden Green went to, a few other OU um, offers are going to. Um, he seems to be kind of helping the cause for the local school in terms of Missouri for some reason, probably cha-ching. So yeah, like I would assume that if Belzer was in charge of the hypothetical Missouri collective, he was not the one like, negotiating the cartel as he um as he described it to grab Caden Green from OU to bring him to Missouri um but at the same time it's like if you're running opposing collectives and these collect and these schools go into competition directly for a player's services I mean where what happens so that, again I don't know all the facts you know, he could be involved in like, like, oh, you could be like the biggest school that he's in charge of. And the whole stopgap is, well, yeah, but I'm also in charge of like UTEPs and Stanford's and like schools that would not be competing against OU for the most part on the recruiting trail. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, that makes a little sense. Like at least you guys have tried to avoid conflict of interest, but I don't know if that's true or not. So to me, those are the two things that really kind of stick out to me and, and make my brain kind of like question it. So, uh, but again, like he's got a job to do. I appreciate his efforts. Um, I appreciate him going like through the car wash of OU podcasts and trying to spread the message that, Hey, OU fans, if you want to help, here is a way that you can help. And again, if you're donating, I'm not saying that you're wrong to do so. Um, I struggle with doing it sometimes and other times I'm like, I don't want to. And so I'm just kind of still on the fence. But again, if the messaging was a little bit more clear and the metrics were more uniform across the board, across the country, um, and I actually knew that my 10 or $20 would really help the cause compared to other schools, then I would be on that thing like white on rice. So don't worry about it. Alan, I know we, we've gone about this and we've talked about this to our blue in the face, but I want to ask you once again, you know, the uh, <laughs> Barry's, Barry's, uh, was a Bernie uh, Sanders meme. Once again, yeah. um, the, you know, this, the NIL stuff, Oklahoma, and, you know, the, the concern that it has. Now, luckily, we had a Red Dirt Sport kind of walk us through a little bit about how he perceives how the uh, o- uh, Oklahoma handles it. Is that Oklahoma makes sure every single player on the football team is paid uh, via its NIL deals, you know? And then uh, what's paid, whatever they believe market value is. Uh, Then you have teams like Ole Miss or Missouri, which they're saying, hey, we're putting like 80% of our collective's money into two or three players, you know, and then we're trying, we're shaking out the rest of it from that perspective. Like we're hunting these guys who think they're going to get up at the top. But Oklahoma is seeing that more from a, uh, everyone's worth. We have to take care of everybody. This is the best thing that's going to be going forward for us because it allows us to kind of keep this roster together because you don't have any sort of, weirdness you know guys mm-hmm. saying why why is he getting paid five hundred thousand dollars more than i am or something of that nature well you're still gonna that, have that even if even if that's any, true. what do you say true. the minimum every the minimum is like twenty five twenty six thousand right mm-hmm. the median or or average is around 45 i mean clearly in there there's a lot of room to go up but i mean do you think this is a an i don't know is this even an oklahoma concern 
Because that's something I thought about too. I was like, what? Who has Oklahoma lost of actual note? I mean, Caden Green, sure, whatever. We can say that. That's for sure. Lo- uh, losing there him, was some people. I'm sorry. I was gonna say like losing him was just more of like um. I, this is kind of a bad analogy, but like Lincoln Riley leaving sucked for a lot of reasons. But like probably the thing that really made it suck was you left us for USC. No one fucking does that to us. Like, mm-hmm. Nobody leaves us for another like college that does not happen Caden green like players have come and gone through OU forever yeah and some of them have done it like legally and correctly and other and it still sucks for the cause and others have done it kind of like a little bitch like Marcus Dupree so like we've seen this happen before it's just nobody does this trying to leverage OU trying to use OU as a stepping stone to go to Missouri like so like uh uh-uh like if you wanted to go to Missouri, then you should have stayed home. But, but beyond just the Caden Green thing, it's like OU got the guard from North Texas. They got the wide receiver from Purdue. I mean, like they got people who we all consider to be pretty good football players and potentially will be. I mean, uh, you know, from, from the guard perspective, will be starting on the offensive line if he's not. If something bad's happened. Went and got Spencer Brown. You know, went and got. I mean, I mean, if you look at Oklahoma transferring in, they went and got people in areas of concern. It just seems like Oklahoma sees what Brady mentioned: former five-star players committed to someone else. You know, and but we have no reason to know if these players are good or not, or in these new places they're going to be will be worth that worth the the money they may have spent, or Oklahoma, you know, decided to keep the powder dry from that type of a player. I mean. Is is there any aspect of that? I mean, do you think OU fans are maybe, I don't want to say overreacting, but maybe it's being somewhat premature and, and casting judgment on the health of the NIL deals uh, that they may or may not be partaking in? Okay, so like, let's level let's level set this for a second here. What we're talking about, right? Okay, NIL is a completely opaque market. There is, I mean, you know. Jason Belzer can come on and present, you know, X data. We have no way of verifying any of that. And I'm not saying that to try to impugn the numbers he gave or anything like that, but just more like, well, I I, I, have, I have to take it on faith that this is the size of, well, you know, OU's collective or that this is where OU rank stacks up in the market. We just don't know that. So that's one thing, right? We have a completely opaque market. They're selling or marketing to, college football fans who are fucking crazy about their, about you know their sport their school i mean the you know the idea that that they can do something now to um you know help the program win i mean there's a desperation to it to the whole thing right and there's a, a, a it's very easy to play these schools and these fan bases off of each other oh well texas is donating x amount of money oh you watch out you know you're gonna need they're gonna they're gonna blow past you if you don't uh if you don't pony up right and 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 third like this doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to be around for a long time right like it just kind of popped up there's no i mean there's no real rules around any of it like my point being like this is setting up for the biggest uh, bunch of like bullshit con jobs possible right like there's no transparency in how any of these um not, not only is there not no transparency in the market 
there's no real way to have any transparency around how these collectives operate. I mean, it's very easy for anybody to start up a collective and say, Hey, we're going to, you know, donate this money to, or we're going to, we're going to distribute this money to these different players and here, you know, donate X amount of money. Very hard to know or verify what percentage of the money is actually going out to the players versus going into the pockets of the people running the collective versus their overhead versus, you know, I mean, all these different issues, right? So, I mean, the the King Green thing to me is more just like what what sucks about it is we, you know, I look at that and say, okay, well, Missouri, if Missouri, if like Jason Belzer said, Missouri offered him five times what was deemed to be his market value, then you got to let him walk like that's okay. And, For sure. Yes. And but yeah. the yes. but the issue is now is like you know these no one has the details of this contract we don't know and he's allowed to say you know I mean Caden Green's allowed to say stuff like oh well you know I was lied to or blah 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 and it's you know it because for some reason we <laughs> people people think that that's a more justifiable reason for him to go to Mizzou as opposed to hey these idiots just paid me five times what the market says I should be worth right yeah like. I mean, so that's the kind of thing my, I don't know, people, people get mad at me when I, when I, or, or I always seem to have something, you know, out for like Joe Castiglione being a pinch penny or not, not, but Mike, he's run this kind of stuff. He's done this for so long now. And OU has become gone from an absolute disaster of an athletic department to one of the most profitable in the country. Under his watch, right? So, like, I just have to think that whatever coordination happens between him and the collective, like, he's got a pretty good sense of how to build a, a sustainable venture going forward. And it's not just, and not just and one that will survive not only during NIL, but be able to kind of transition over once OU finally does get its, like, NIL or the that that whole kind of market spending type thing under its own umbrella. So like I don't you know I mean when it comes to stuff like hitting up the fans I find that really I mean it's not it's not distasteful I mean it's it's kind of it's just the the way it works right now but like <sighs> it's expensive enough already to be a fan like there's enough revenue sloshing around the system in general to figure out a way to do this without having to like go and shell out for you know you know donations to everybody this way it's just not it, it this is and, and and especially the idea that now like you're you're facilitating what i feel like is going to be uh, you know I, like i mentioned a huge opportunity for con artists to come and to come in and you know soak up a lot of cash from these deals it's just it's just not a good way to do business. And my hope, my, my, my guess is we'll, we'll soon find out soon enough. Once we've had a little bit of time, how many of these collectives are just outright bullshit and just fleecing people. I, I bet it'll be fairly high. And uh, go for it, Brady. I was the, the only thing I, I, the last thing I wanted to say was, um, cause people have kind of essentially said this, but they've not essential. They've not specifically said this sentence. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Billy Bowman and Danny Stutzman or insert Jag offensive lineman from Alabama or LSU? Because 
we all saw the playoff game. Those Alabama offensive linemen are not as good as the the uniform that they were wearing that that would suggest to you that they are. They if they were coming from Cal or and hell, I was about to say Cal or Stanford and our two really good recent transfers were from both those schools on the offensive line. But generally speaking, if those players were coming from some other school, nobody would care. OU got they spent their money where they needed to, and that was to retain the biggest strength that they could potentially have for 2024. And that's if guys like Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman return for their final years, um, then we could have something like a true strength going into the SEC instead of just like, maybe we'll find out that we have some special guys here or there. No, we have a true strength on defense. Paying a bunch of money for some Jags to put, throw extra bodies on the offensive line is, I, I think, who cares, really? It's it, it's just for fans on Twitter to say, yay, we got him. Screw you, Ole Miss, or whomever else. It's like, no, no, no. OU maxed out, I think, what it could have in terms of its potential for 2024 uh, shelling out some NIL money. Well, and like, think about this guy, the, what was his name? Heard, right? From LSU, who, you know, OU supposedly in on, apparently Tennessee came in and, and put a fairly big offer in front of him. And he, that's where you, where you end up going, right? right? Like, my take on that is if you're, if, if he was worth so much money right now, why, why shouldn't we be mad? And, and it's a bad thing that OU missed out on this opportunity again now. Shouldn't we be mad about, the coaching staff for not having got him the year before, <laughs> like when he was coming out as a recruit, you could have had him at, a, at a, apparently at a discount. Like, no, it's it like I like I mentioned, this is about desperation, right? And seeing, oh, well, there's a five star, a former five star guy out there on the market. Let you know, we need the we need this position or what have you, or it's it's you know, it's a good you know, it's an opportunity. We need to go get him now. And it's like. You don't really need to like just hold up, man. In an alternate yeah. universe where David Hicks hits the portal, OU suddenly is not broke because they they wanted him out of high school. They kept in touch. I mean, we all saw Todd Bates and Brent Venables go to where his dad coaches high school or um, where he or he played in high school. So they kept tabs waiting for like the potentiality of him hitting the portal. If he did. Oh boy. Like, yeah, he'd be a sooner, but he didn't hit the portal. Therefore he's still unfortunately an Aggie, but those things happen. But instead Oklahoma got a, uh, offensive lineman from university of Washington. Who's a part of a Joe Moore winning offensive line. Yes. He played 71 snaps, but those snaps are what got him over the top for that award. Okay. He was a, he was a substitute <laughs> teacher on the Joe Moore award winning offensive line. Um, no, I think I think of what what Alan may be kind of thinking from that perspective, and what I'm choosing to believe Oklahoma fans are using this uh, term at hand. Uh, if you're playing a game of poker and you can't and you look around the table and you don't know who the sucker is, it's you. Uh, I think there's probably a lot of fan bases who maybe look up one day and realize they got got, uh, and Oklahoma fans seem to at this point in time, and and that's a thing too. Or maybe I'm thinking we're Oklahoma fans. I'm going to defend defend us Oklahoma fans to a certain degree. Oklahoma is a cheating program. <laughs> First and foremost, it yeah. been a very, it's just what it is. Yeah, I, I will I'll hand to God. I, I'm fine with it. Uh, the, the right way is getting players. <laughs> That's how you win these games. Oklahoma has always gotten them. Magically, in some magic way, they've always been able to get top 10, top five recruiting classes, no matter what. Oh, how is that Sooner happening? magic. Uh, Sooner so magic. So if I were a fan base, I would say, well, 
why does anything have to change? Just keep paying them. Like, like what you've been doing. <laughs> like, why do I all of a sudden now have to get involved? This just seems like I'm, we're creating this weird middleman. You just keep paying them how you've been doing it and we'll be fine. I think that's maybe the bigger deal. Uh, and, um, you know, there might be like a three-year to five-year window to figure out how long the NCAA will survive uh, all these court battles. Uh, and then we'll get right back to the schools just paying these players. And uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll be fine about it from that perspective. Uh, but moving on. Let's talk about some college football at large. Uh, Chip Kelly, UCLA is not a serious football program in any way, shape, or form. Uh, uh, takes a demotion, goes to an old friend I have recently learned, goes way back with Ryan Day. It's now the offensive coordinator uh, with the Ohio State University, the Buckeyes. Uh, really, really getting this buy-in, um, this all-in perspective that it does seem like the Ohio State Buckeyes are really, really circling for this next year to get it done you know they're they're trying to put together the team with the roster with the coaches uh this seems to be an exact exact reaction from uh the wolverines winning the national championship now is it odd they're putting all of this on will howard's shoulders yes <laughs> it seems insane that that's the decision they've made will um, brock purdy howard yeah <laughs> yeah right but uh I mean, I, I guess I'll jump on to you, Alan, because you've had some, uh, you, you talked about like, you know, in the past, it was like Michigan always won this game. This is how the rivalry was. Michigan ran that rivalry for a very long time. It's just recently Ohio State, you know, 7-0 and under Urban Meyer and all that type of stuff. It, it, does this just have to work? I mean, you're, you're putting all this in. The same thing for like Missouri and Ole Miss. I mean, they're putting everything into 2024 <laughs> of saying, this is it. This is the year we are either making the playoffs or we're winning playoff games or we're Ohio State fans in program. I guess the assumption is to win the whole damn thing. It, it seems very loud that they're making kind of putting their their stake to that. I mean, do, do you think, I don't know, how, how much of a pressure do you think that's putting on to Ryan Day at that point in time to, to do this? Well, I mean, like, first of all, he's got to feel pressure no matter what, right? I mean, he's that's a true, coach true. at Ohio State, but yeah, I mean, look, this is clearly in response to uh, Michigan's success against them and in college football as a whole in the last three years. Um, but they're also looking, I think, at an opportunity, right? I mean, Michigan got got wiped out. They're, you know, uh, probably the best coach they've ever had gone. You know, all, so many of their players gone. I mean, the the opportunity for them to kind of steamroll through the big 10 is there. They've certainly got the resources to, you know, land a lot of big names. Um, yeah. I mean, like this is, this is kind of a matter of, of, you know, yeah. Being down striking while the iron's hot and also realizing, I think in a lot of ways, like the hard part is, and people don't, people don't get this, but like Brian day may not be a particularly elite coach like like everybody thought i i still think he's very good but you also can't fire him like you just you just can't like who's gonna take that job if they see you know him getting him getting canned if 11 and 1 is not good enough yeah, <laughs> who like, you hire him? yeah like i mean and so like th this just seems to me more like you know a way to 
get everything, get all the pieces in order. You know, I mean, they they pay, they're paying for a great offensive coordinator, great defensive coordinator. They're putting everything in there in terms of getting the talent there or and retaining the players that uh, a lot of talented players like this to me is just I mean, it's a strike while the iron's hot type situation. Thank God our Ryan Day made it, made the uh, job easy for us and just left. Oh, you could yeah, have been yeah, in that yeah. spot if he stayed. Like we could have gone 10 and 2, 11 and 1 for, you know, forever. <laughs> and, you know, like the same thing would have happened to us. I mean, if OU loses to Texas three years in a row, then in the third year, Texas wins a national title. And you have, you know, a Lincoln Riley or a Ryan Day type coach who is winning so much so you can't fire him but he's not winning the big game and getting to the national championship um you will have that final year of like we're gonna throw every we're gonna throw everything everything to the wind and it better work and that's what ohio state's doing and i I mean adding chip kelly to me i'm i look at that i see that i'm like you know, eight years ago, that would have been really cool and interesting. Now I'm just like, you've got two personalities, offensive-minded personalities on the same staff. I have no idea how that's going to work. And the quarterback is Will Howard. So they're talented. They've got a lot of guys in the portal. Um, Alabama or Nick Saban just kind of randomly retiring also helped them because as Alan alluded to, like Michigan is basically done in that conference. I don't think any of the outside of Oregon – any of the Pac-12 additions to the Big Ten are really going to challenge for a um, conference championship. So they have a very good path, and they don't have to worry about, really, unless DeBoer is that guy, they don't have to worry about Nick Saban in Alabama. So it's just Oregon, maybe Texas, probably Georgia. Throw it all out there. Unfortunately, Will Howard's your quarterback, so it probably won't matter. Yeah, it's something um, I had recently again learned about the the connections that uh, Ryan Day and Brian Kelly have. Um, you know, Brian, Brian, Chip, I think Chip Brian Kelly, Day, right? Chip Kelly, Brian, sorry, yes. Chip Kelly. Who I, don't know, I was trying to say Brian, Ma- Ryan, Chip, Malcolm Kelly, Kelly yes, uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Kelly, yeah. Uh, Chip Kelly and Ryan Day have those those connections. I think uh, Ryan Day played for him um, at, at one of uh, Chip Kelly's first stops. Went to the NFL with him, you know, all that type of stuff. Uh, but their offenses do seem different. Uh, even though they kind of grew up from their perspective. Like, and again, a lot of that is shaded from the Oregon days where they're running the quarterback a lot. And, you know, in, or, in UCLA, they're doing it as well. Uh, and maybe that fits a Will Howard much more than a Ryan Day normal offense where it's quarterback drops back, makes pinpoint precision passes. And, uh, you know, Chip can say, hey, we're going to run QB power, <laughs> you know, 15 times this game. Uh, I mean, I think, I think that's, that's definitely helpful. the plan, right? To become more of a run, for run sure. heavy, run based offense for sure, right? And like, even I think even being bringing O'Brien back was that was still going to be the case. Yeah, that has to be the point. And then also the the side of it too for like the Michigan side, like you said, completely devastated. Um, and then again, another thing I learned today, listening to the solid verbal with uh, Feldman they had on there, it's like uh, the Michigan uh, strength and conditioning coach. You know, apparently one of the best in the business heavily credited for doing the developmental side of that Michigan roster. The guy that ever, you know, allowed them to recruit in the teens and then have, you know, three playoff appearances in a row and a national championship, uh, you know, going to the chargers from that point in time. So maybe that's too something for an Oklahoma fan. You could think, Hey, 
we got our boy back, Smitty. You know, it's building the roster back, all that type of stuff. We're getting off of that. You know, I'm a big strength and conditioning guy, but I know it's kind of like, you know, it's always the same. Hey, we're flipping tires this year, and last year we weren't, and now we're going to win the championship. I get that perspective of it. Um, everyone puts everyone under weights, and they lift up, and they get fast and explosive. So, But I, I do think there's some importance from that part of it. Uh, we've got some uh, other stuff here. I'm going to plug a podcast that we have. I'll have on the um, a 5-4 contributor. Uh, we'll be on later this week to talk about the Dartmouth uh, NL. RB, the National Labor Review Board decision to allow the uh, Dartmouth players to unionize. Uh, now they have to go a vote on that. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means, just what is a National Labor Review Board, one, <laughs> and then two, what this decision means and what it could mean for the wider scope of college football, or just the fact that Dartmouth is a private entity, a private educational uh, facility or institution, does that keep it from like spreading out beyond uh, Dartmouth or potentially the other private schools, uh, you know, those religious private schools may be running themselves into an issue uh, a little bit later. Um, and then as well as, uh, as Alan said, uh, we've got some, a lot of nerd talk coming up. Uh, so we've got some court decision stuff and some uh, uh, advanced analytics stuff coming up for our Patreon. So patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Matt, Brady, it's your time to shine. OU softball, first pitch, they're 4-0, they're kicking ass. Uh, had a little bit of a scare against Washington, I, I see. Uh, something about Washington, uh, uh, you know, a ref, an ump, allowing Washington to score three runs off of a plate interference or something along those lines, but yeah. OU able to pull it out regardless. Um, looking like the defending champion that they are, uh, and also having some, I believe, a freshman basically starting off what seems to be a very, very uh, – glorious uh, career already first at bat uh you know magic happening from that perspective but how's the softball team uh going and is this just another rerun it's just just they are the goliath <laughs> they're the death star but they, they don't you know they fix the exhaust sport it might be it might be another rerun um you, you referred to the cassidy pickering you know freshman uh hit a grand slam in her first at bat and uh, while that's really cool and awesome I think she started off on the wrong foot. I mean, cause you can't do better than a grand slam. So, I mean, like you're never going to beat that, you know, you're never going to really beat that. So you really set that precedent way too high. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. No, she had a great, she was, she was good in the fall as well too. Um, and they're like red and white scrimmages and stuff. So she was really hitting the ball well. Uh, and that's carried over till now. But um, I, I'm sure if you, I, I asked this too, we had Alex Storacco on, um, last Friday, I asked her, I was like, if you put some truth serum in like in Patty Gasso right now, would she have like secretly in like an evil genius way loved that what you got into jams with Duke and Washington? Like the run rules are cool, right? We all love, you know, scoring, you know, the game's over in five innings. Like, yeah, all right, let's go home. But I think there's a part of, I mean, Alex Rocco even said as much like, yes, like I'm, I'm sure that she probably was smiling on the inside knowing that, okay, we're getting challenged here. Let's see it. Let's see how we respond early in the season, right? A lot of new faces. I mean, still some familiar faces that everyone knows, but a lot of new faces, especially in the pitching circle, how they really respond from that. And uh, I mean, they, they responded well with, with flying colors, man. Uh, walks were a little bit of an issue uh, down in Mexico, but um, the bats, the bats are still working. So that's uh, that's that's really good uh, there. And then obviously, I mean, with the walks, they got themselves out of jams, right? Kelly Maxwell got herself out of a jam. And so did Carly Keeney, the uh, transfer from Liberty, 
transfer pitcher from Liberty got herself out of a jam uh, as well. So, I mean, the, the Duke game was weird. It was like as close of a game really as you could have for only giving up three hits in the entire game. <laughs> like it's just, it's crazy how, how well uh, they played this weekend. I mean, it's not crazy. Everyone kind of expected it, but it, it they do seem prime for, I mean, uh, like I'm not going out on a limb here, but yeah, another championship run. Do you like Duke softball, Matt? Uh, we all like Duke softball, right? I think so. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I don't care. I just care about Duke basketball. That's it. So, okay. You're, so are you also a Lakers fan? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. No, Patty Gasso's got a machine and it's unkillable and it will kill all in its path. Yeah. We, we know this. Um, is I, I'm actually, I hate, I hate to say this. I'm looking very forward to the day after OU loses its first game this season. Um, because it's probably more than likely is going to happen that they will yeah. lose a game, if not, you know, a few games. And just the the fucking circle jerk on Twitter from like opposing fans of like, eh, hey, take that. It's like, okay, whatever. Thanks. You might actually be doing OU a favor because that's going to be a lot of undue pressure that they have earned. Um, but they'll no doubt put themselves through the more games that they win before they ultimately lose. But um, I mean, ideally I hope they don't lose at all, but uh, yeah. realistically they probably will. But um kind of in that same vein getting into uh some tight ball games with some pretty good programs and programs that you may see you know a little bit down the line um that's always a good thing so um this team needs to be tested and i'm, I'm glad that they basically got they, they at least answered some questions and they found they found some new firepower that they can potentially rely on further down the road um because as great of a machine that as patty gasso has built like having to constantly replace like great talent um, that graduates or leaves the program. I mean, that's that gets hard after a while. And even Saban had problems replacing like coordinators and such. So um, just incredible what they're able to do, though, just in terms of how far removed they are from number two in the sport of softball. So, I mean, it's it's just fun to watch. You mentioned that replacing like they're replacing Grace Lyons, who was, I mean, the the best defensive shortstop in softball history. Yeah. I mean, she was amazing. They're at short. They're replacing her with Tiare Jennings, moving Tiare over from second to short. Kind of have a battle at second base right now between three people. Uh, just defensively on the infield, that's where I'm. That's where I'm got the most question marks. Just that, and then the walks, and also, it felt like last year it was, uh, damn, we're in a tight spot. Let, okay, Jordy Ball, Jordy Ball, come in, and now I, I I hope that Kelly Maxwell can be that person. Um, I think, I think that's probably the general consensus of who that would be, uh, in a moment, but, uh, that's more so what I'm looking forward to. Like, okay. Like if you're in the super regionals, women college world series, uh, something's going away from you. Who do you bring in? Right. It, it, Cause it, it was a very easy answer the past two seasons. Like just bring Jordy ball in and close the game out. Let's go home. Uh, that, and then also to your point of the, maybe picking up a loss this season, I hope that we're not too far removed away. I mean, it's been 57 games in a row they've won now, dating back to last season. I hope we're not too far away or not too far removed from people being like, yeah, it's softball. Like you, you, it's just like baseball. You lose, you lose games. Like it's not unheard of to lose games. Like, please don't, please don't melt down. If OU loses a softball game, it's a sport of failure 
just yeah. like just like baseball is like there's going to be times where hey that pitcher has it has it going and for whatever reason the bats can't connect or maybe you hit it hard somewhere but you hit it right at them like those that's that's the game of softball and baseball at, at times so like i i just hope like hey like like brady said i hope they win every single game but i hope that there's not a meltdown of like oh well what's wrong with them nothing they they lost a game like they they you know it, it happens in in softball it's okay no, I, I think the issue with that from from a fan's perspective is that the last what four years it's been opposing coaches saying the university of oklahoma softball is bad for the sport <laughs> you know it's like we have to get the world series out of oklahoma city it's unfair they're you know, just, that, that's they're, what's being said they're just men afraid of strong women and it's really yes. sad to see <laughs> really sad really sad uh, it's really sad to see matt matt real quick i mean you already made the comparison or not necessarily a comparison but in terms of replacing you know jordy ball who leaves the program uh kelly maxwell comes in from oklahoma state but in terms of like you know as a grad transfer pitcher and you don't have to say this on the franchise but i maybe it's too early in the season to, to know this but maybe even a, a slight upgrade in terms of the grad transfer pitcher uh Kelly Maxwell over Alex Tarocco or am I, am I off base? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that you're off base. I, I don't, I mean, Kelly Maxwell, Kelly Maxwell is awesome. I mean, she was outside of Jordy ball, the best pitcher in the, in the big 12. Like, I mean, like, like we, just need, to, we just need to figure out, we just, <laughs> we can, is this the last topic, Peyton? This is the last topic of it the show. It will be. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we can, we can end with this. We need to figure out how to get Allison royalty to Norman. <laughs> all right guys that that ends us for this thank you so much for for listening and for being part of the uh the podcast uh, i think this is ever it's always a partnership if you listen to, to all of us and in our insane ramblings about cultural ball college sports just in general um if you want to hear more from us again check us out patreon.com slash through the keyhole or if you want to hear even more from one of us uh or just two of us Go check out the franchise on Mondays. I think um, Matt says he's bringing yeah. on through the keyhole representative Brady for some radio spots to kind of get it out there. So, man, back in the media side of things. Uh, so felt make weird. sure you tune in. Yeah, <laughs> it felt sure good. You... It felt good for me. It yeah, felt right at home. Felt good. Uh, I'll hold down Oklahoma City. Um, Alan is just basically on every big time market in the SEC. He's like speed yep. dial apparently the uh by the way the patreon episode you had with uh carter the lsu uh -huh. guy was fantastic so oh, it was well, very, very good much. yeah it was yes. very good it enraged me when you just kind of went oh yeah oklahoma yeah that they're the sixth best program i was like come on alan you kind of give, uh, I, my, uh, he, my, I think you you'd mentioned to him like where do you see oklahoma coming in he's like yeah they're probably like the fifth sixth program in the sec moving forward and i was like the hair on the back of my neck just like instantly uh, yeah. flew up. I, yeah, I was like, I come on. I, I don't know. I, th I thought we were talking about this year. I, I Maybe yeah. this year. <laughs> I'll buy that this coming year, yes. In the off season of 2024. Now, my, my thing was uh, when he mentioned LSU as a tier one job. I'm like, okay, we need to you write a Bible about here are the actual tiers of jobs <laughs> in college football. Can uh. we stop saying tier one jobs? Like, shut up. You're LSU. LSU gets you paid, you win the title, and you yeah, continue it, man, getting paid you after have, you get fired. They, they, I, I went back and looked. They averaged something like nine blue chips from inside the state in every recruiting class. Like, you don't even have to break a sweat to get that, Easy. man. Like, Easy. Whew. 
they're technically underachieving. Yes, <laughs> they're yes. probably better per capita in terms of blue chip like players that go to the NFL than the state of Texas. I would without imagine. a doubt. Yeah, without a per cap. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So. Anyway, that's all the places you can listen to us uh, on here on the uh, the po- on the podcast uh, platform you're on. Again, over on Patreon, you can or hey, check out the franchise one hundred seven point seven. Listen to Matt, listen to Brady when they're on there uh, covering. You know, Matt's covering obviously the Thunder and uh, Oklahoma basketball. So have fun, support us in the ways that you can. We appreciate it. Uh, also, like like us, rate us, all that type of stuff. I don't want to steal Bonnie's line about we're inclined to think you're a hater, but if you don't leave a five-star, I'm going to be inclined to think you're a hater. Uh, so thank you guys so much. We appreciate it. For myself, for Matt, for Alan, for Brady, we'll sign off as we always do. Boomer! Sooner. <laughs>